It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Tuesday episode of Locked on Raptors, it seemed as though the Raptors' Vision 6-9 experiment died the day they traded for Jakob Pertl and admitted that seven-footers are actually important. However, have you looked at the Raptors' roster lately? I don't think Vision 6-foot-9's gone anywhere. We'll get into why and why that might be a problem coming up on today's episode of Locked on Raptors. Thanks for hanging. Oh, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked on Raptors, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the free time of the Hail Mary three by Mo Get that garbage out of here. Hey! What's going on and welcome to another episode of Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Tuesday, July the 25th, and I'm your host, Sean Woodley. I've been covering the Toronto Raptors now for nine seasons on various platforms. You can find all my work over on Twitter, at WoodleySean. You can follow, subscribe to, rate, and review the show for free on your favorite podcast app. And of course, you can find us on YouTube. Hit the big red subscribe button, support us on video. It's much appreciated when you do that. Lots of new subs lately. Nice to see some new folks joining our YouTube family over there on, well, YouTube, of course. Uh, And of course, you can always join us in the Lockdown Raptors Discord server. The link is in the description. Come hang out. A great place to uh, vent about your Raptors frustrations, to play hoop grids with with some pals, to talk about the Blue Jays, to talk about the ongoing interminable Raptors offseason. It's been a great place. Come hang out in the Lockdown Raptors Discord. We'd love to see you there. Okay, on today's show... We're digging into the state of the Raptors front court situation, which is essentially uh, like, you know, 90% of the roster is front court players at this point. And we are going to dig into uh, why that might be a problem. The log jam that still needs to be sorted out when it comes to the front court, who's in, who's out of the rotation. We got some listener questions coming up as well. 
But I want to start off just, you know, kind of with some sort of ceremony to bring back the concept of Vision Six Foot Nine from the dead, because it seems as though that's what the Raptors are trying to do based on their offseason maneuvering here. Um, as I said off the top, it, it seemed as though the Vision Six Foot Nine thing died when the Raptors traded for Jakob Pertl and realized that, oh, like there are some pretty traditional skills you need on the floor to play basketball effectively. Let's go get those skills in the form of someone who's not six foot nine. And it felt as though when you start seeing like, oh, wonderful pick and roll chemistry between a small point guard and a big center, and uh, you started to see like a bit of a more sensible way of playing last year down the stretch for the Raptors, that the idea of Vision Six Foot Nine, which is all about length and switchability and versatility, quote unquote versatility, which is not really versatility because when you have players who all do the same thing, you kind of play exactly one way, which is the opposite of versatile. Either way, it seemed as though the Raptors were going to start pivoting towards more of a traditional team build. Obviously, they still value length. They still value guys with long arms and switchability across multiple positions. That wasn't going anywhere. But it did feel like last year's kind of disaster start to the year and the total lack of variability in the way the team could play did sort of hint at, okay, maybe there's going to be a bit of a philosophical change here towards more of a traditional team build. And yet... We sit here now, and I'm looking at this Raptors roster, and I think there are more 6'8", 6'9", guys on this roster than there were on last year's team, and significantly fewer guards. Of course, Fred Van Vliet being the guy who's gone out, and uh, they've just replaced him with more talls. And so, I, it's hard to parse it and sort of figure out here what the Raptors' vision really is, right? They had a lot of these guys anyway. You know, is there are there, is there going to be a process of cycling some of them out in more roster-balancing trades? That could happen. We'll get into that in the second segment as we dig into the front court glut and who's going to fit where and who could potentially be on the move. But as you look at it right now, it very much seems like Vision 6-9 is back and totally top of mind for the Raptors as far as their philosophy. And look, I don't totally think the idea behind Vision 6-9 is all that crazy. I know it didn't work out super hot last year. It had its moments, of course, in 21-22 when they had that great second half run, largely playing with, you know, big, weird, goofy lineups with all 6-9 dudes and Chris Boucher and Precious Achua causing mayhem and all of this stuff. You know, I, I get the reasoning behind wanting to build your team out of six foot nine guys. Basketball is a sport that favors tall people. We know this. We've seen it happen. We've seen Fred Van Vliet get smothered in the playoffs by bigger defenses, and it's just harder for smaller guys to hang. We know this. But the problem with building a vision six foot nine team is scarcity. There's just not that many players in the world who can do the things that you need to do on the floor to play effective basketball. Because as much as you want to go and say, hey, everyone's big and tall, guess what? You have to have certain skill sets for it to work. And throughout the history of basketball, there's just some things that are common through lines of good teams. You need self-creation and pull-up three-point shooting and uh, you know playmaking for others. That's hard to find in six-foot-nine guys. They don't just fall off of trees. You need three-point shooting all around. You need catch and shoot. You need guys who can bury it. The Raptors did not have that last year, notably. They had like three guys on the roster who you trusted taking a wide-open three. And of course, you need rim protection. You need dudes who can be at the back line, who can be big, who can go up against the big behemoths around the NBA, especially as we've seen a bit of a shift back to a bigger NBA. We've got teams going double big lineups. You know, the MVPs of the last two years are centers. 
the league, you know, these things are cyclical, and right now the cycle is skewing big. And so you have to have large dudes who can bang with those guys and, of course, protect the rim, which is why they needed to go get Yaka Proto last year when they did, just to assemble a roster that stood a chance of, you know, making sense and playing sensible basketball. They don't have a notable thing now, which is that self-creation, that pull-up three-point shooting. We talked about it yesterday with the Scotty Barnes episode. I'm not going to relitigate it, but this is the problem when you try to build your whole team out of six foot nine guys, is there's only so many players in the world who possess these skills at that size. And team building in the NBA, a lot of it's out of your control. The draft is completely a crapshoot. You could see dudes who would perfectly fit the Raptors system go ahead of them in the draft, or some teams find some guy as a sort of diamond in the rough type, whatever. You can't just be like, I want this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and assemble a perfect roster full of six foot nine guys with complementary skills. And that is the problem I think the Raptors ran into last year. Now, look, I think Grady Dick is a bit of an interesting sort of addition to this mix of guys. He's, of course, 6'8". I think he fits the vision size-wise, even though he doesn't have that crazy long wingspan or anything like that. But he's huge. He's a dead-eye shooter. That's something they badly need. He has skills that are going to complement the other 6'8", 6'9", guys on this roster, you know, playing off of Scotty Barnes as a handoff guy, all this stuff. We, we know that Grady Dick is going to fit on whatever team he, he's going to play in just because he's the type of dude who fits anywhere. Like, shooting doesn't go out of style. Off-ball movement doesn't go out of style. It helps everybody on the floor. And so I'm intrigued if Grady Dick is like this addition to the whole everyone is tall thing, but he brings a different skill set. That's good. They're still lacking the point guard skills, of course, right? Like they have the big man skills in Yakup Pertle. That's great. They have the shooting now in Grady Dick, maybe Jalen McDaniels, Precious Achua, if he can kind of regain that that shooting stroke that he had in the back part of the 21-22 season. Uh, we know OG can bomb him. We know Pascal has had his luck from the corners and all this stuff. Like they might be okay shooting-wise. Otto Porter Jr. is on the team, but there's still that lack of guard play and self-creation, and they just simply don't have enough of it on the roster right now. If you look at the roster, there are five guards on this team, or five backcourt players, and none of them really bring that element of, you know, you know, starting possessions, creating advantages, and getting downhill, and all that stuff that you need in order to run sensible NBA offense. I know the Raptors are going to try it with Scotty Barnes. Go listen to yesterday's show if you haven't, you know, and kind of hear our thoughts and misgivings on the idea of Scotty being the the go-to point guard and all this stuff. But ultimately, this has just left the Raptors with a very strange roster once again, probably a stranger roster than they had last year because you've swapped Fred Van Vliet out for Jalen McDaniels and Dennis Schroeder, who's a weird fit next to some of the Raptors' better players, will probably fit nicely with the bench guys, and I'm, I'm pretty bullish on what Dennis can do as a six-man playing with second units, but it's a weird, weird, weird roster, and it's left the Raptors with an extreme glut of dudes in the front court that is needing some sorting out, and we're going to try to do that coming up in just a second here, we're going to get into the Raptors front court, who stays, who goes, who plays, who sits on the bench, what combinations are possible. We'll get into all that coming up in just one second. But first, got to tell you, better good friends over at FanDuel, who of course are the place to take your first swing at betting MLB. With FanDuel, you get 10 times your first bet amount back in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200 that you can spend on everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to hit the first home run, all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. I love a little same-game parlay on FanDuel. I don't often dabble in sports 
sports wagering. But when I do, that same game parlay is a fun way to kind of get a big payout if you get it right. And if not, hey, that's fine. You go, you went to the game, you watched the game, you had a good time. But the, the same game parlay is a pretty fun little device in FanDuel to juice up if you're going to a game in person, whatever it might be. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get 200 bucks in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball and of Locked On. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. Or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So, Switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. All right, let's continue on here with your first listen of the day. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks to the everydayers of the podcast for tuning in. We love you very, very much. Let us know in the comments if you're an everydayer, and we'll get you some help. Uh, all right, let's uh, get into the Raptors front court glut. If you look at the roster right now, 15 guys on the roster as it stands, if my counting is correct, which, hey, it might not be. I'm not very good at counting. Uh, you've got sort of your starting front court dudes in OG, Siakam, and Yak. And I guess we're calling Scotty Barnes a guard now. Like, I, I, I mean, I still kind of classify him as a forward or a front court player, but if he's going to be played as a point guard, maybe that shifts things around. He's not soaking up those forward minutes as much. We'll call him a guard for argument's sake right now. But you've got OG Siakam and Yaka Pirtle in the starting five. Then you have Precious Achua, Jalen McDaniels, Chris Boucher, Otto Porter Jr., Christian Coloco, and Thad Young, who's still on the team, of course. That right there brings you to uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine guys in the front court alone who are going to need to share minutes and, and, and get on the floor. You, have, you throw in Barnes, obviously, in the backcourt. You have Grady Dick, Jeff Doughton, Gary Trent Jr., Dennis Schroeder, Malachi Flynn rounding it out. Um, I wouldn't guess that Flynn's going to play a ton. I wouldn't even guess that Doughton's going to play a ton. I would guess that your main guards are Trent Schroeder, Grady Dick, and uh, Scotty Barnes kind of going into the season. So that leaves nine guys to, to fight for the minutes at three positions. Not all of them can play all those positions. You're not going to play Chris Boucher at the three. I mean, I guess you could nominally do it if you're playing with massive lineups, but that's a lot to sort out and a lot of guys who are going to need minutes. Look, do I think Thad Young's going to play a lot of minutes? Probably not, but... That still leaves you with five backup bigs who are all kind of fours in, in their way. Obviously, Christian Coloco's a center, but everyone else kind of slots in as a four, maybe like a 3.5. It's just a lot to figure out. And it just leaves me feeling like a trade still has to be coming. Even if Pascal Siakam is not getting moved, which I feel like is less likely by the day at this point. Um, you know, even if OG Ananobi's not getting moved, which, you know, we have our thoughts on that. And I think you can't really go into the season with two your two best players, really, two of your three best players with, uh, you know, contracts up in the air. We saw what happened last year when that happened. Not so good. Um, and so 
you know, even if they don't make these moves, you know, we're not going to go down the rabbit hole right now, but even if they don't trade OG or Siakam, if they just go in with, you know, OG, Siakam, and Barnes as like their core three for this season, they want to make it work one last time, that is going to leave them with just like a lot to sort out and balance out when it comes to the front court. And I just, there, there feels like there has to be a trade. The trade options are not exactly like amazing. You know, we we talked about the Io DeSunmu thing. He signed a new deal with the Bulls. No sign and trade on an RFA deal for him there. There's, uh, you know, they, they, we keep on looking at the Wizards. They did trade away Monte Morris. Maybe they want to keep both DeLon Wright and Tyus Jones, so they have two point guards. That would make sense. Uh, you know, I think Tyus Jones probably a little too rich for the Raptors' blood right now. Probably not quite good enough to give up a first-round pick for. He's a pending UFA, so you're probably not going to do that. And, you know, I don't think you you really have the, the roster players to go and convince the Wizards to just give you Tyus Jones. DeLon Wright, I think there's something potentially there. Like Chris Boucher for DeLon Wright has been one of my favorite pet trades all summer just because I feel like Boucher feels like a wizard. Like he's sticking with Kyle Kuzma and Jordan Poole. That'll be the wizards team of all time. Uh, you know, kind of tapping into the glory days of the Andre Blatch and Nick Young squads probably. Um, but, you know, obviously you need two to tango. Maybe they don't want Chris Boucher. He's got money on his deal for, for next year as well. I don't know why the Wizards would really care about that. There's a salary floor they got to hit. Dude's got to play for for that team, even though they're going to stink and probably be like the worst team in the league. But there's just, you know, there's only limited options, right? You know, we've talked a little bit about TJ McConnell as a potential option. Could you get Andrew Nemhard off of the Pacers for one of these guys? Does the abundance of guys at this position make a Precious Achua more expendable? Does he have more value than a Chris Boucher would? Would you attach a pick to him? Like there's all these different variables of deals that could happen, but it just feels like they're going to have to make a move Unless they really are leading into most of our guys are going to be six eight six nine, and we're basically budgeting four spots on the floor for these dudes. You know, again, it's hard to do with Yakupertle playing because you got to have a little bit of shooting around him, um, and that's just one spot taken up. You've got to have other shooting on the floor, whether it's Gary Trent Jr. or OG Ananobi. Jalen McDaniels has shooting upside, but not a terribly consistent track record. Precious Achua, obviously, we've seen what he can do when he's burying threes, but that's not been terribly consistent either. And so you're sitting there trying to sort out, okay, who's playing, who's playing with whom? Is there any way to make this work and have all these guys have a role? Is there going to be discontent because Chris Boucher or Precious Achua is excised from the rotation? Like, there's all these things you got to sort out. It's going to be a challenge for Darko Rayakovic to sort out who's playing between the three, four, and five at, on any given night for the Raptors. We know that Yaka Pirtle's going to eat up 30 minutes a night, probably at center. Who's eating the rest of the 18 at center? Is it going to be Coloco? Are they going to go small? I think they should be playing Scotty Barnes as a small ball five in pockets of games because he's really good at it, and I would like to see that more. But will they actually do that? Are they leaning fully into the point guard thing? It's just a bizarre, bizarre roster. You know, I do think, you know, I, I know I'm coming off like very negative about this team's odds of being good this season. And I, I think it will be a pretty tall ask for them to be good. Like, it's just going to be really hard. They, they don't have enough offensive creation. I think there's a real chance to like a bottom five offense that is coupled with like a top five defense. I think that's possible with the length and the quality of the defenders that they have on hand. But that's not going to add out to a terribly great team. It'll probably be like a little bit under 500 is what I'd predict right now. Like you get 38 wins. Is that kind of the high end here? 
probably like you know do they try to tank down to get a top six pick that's risky game if you're going to try to actively be bad and potentially you know fall out of the top six anyway and lose your pick to the spurs um you know i'd like to see them just try to win as many games as possible but it's just when you're trying to piece together these combinations it gets it, very messy like it's just a weird roster and i i don't envy darko Ryakovich for what he has to do here that said i do think while I don't think there's a ton of potential for this team to be especially good, I think there's potential for this team to be kind of fun and weird and interesting, which is fun in its own right. Over 82 games, six months of a regular season, if we have some like intrigue and some guys who we're tracking who maybe their their role changes or there's development or an upward trajectory, whatever, like there will be fun stuff to track. Obviously, watching Scotty Barnes kind of figure it out on the fly, if in fact he is going to be the point guard, like that's going to be, if nothing else, interesting to watch each and every night. And I also think watching how these various dudes on the bench get sorted into the team is going to be an interesting through line of the year as well. And so there's good, there's definitely combinations of these guys who can be fun, who can be interesting, who can make this into a, a bit more of a sort of watchable season than sort of the the lack of offensive creation at, at you know at ten, looking at ten thousand feet might suggest it will be so. Let's get in on the other side into some of those combinations that could be fun. We're going to get your, some of your listener questions and, and dig into, um, you know, just some you know machinations, which guys will fit, who's going to get prioritized, et cetera, et cetera. We will get into those questions and round up the show coming up in just a second here. Before, before we do that, should tell you about our friends over at Locked on Leafs, as uh, Mike and Dave at Locked on Leafs are doing a great job keeping tabs on all of the off-season rumor mill and what might go down with some of the Leafs' best players, William Nylander, Austin Matthews, extensions, trades, what's going to go on. Go check out Locked on Leafs every day on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right. Listener questions. A lot of you sent in some good ones here. We're going to run through as many as we can. Uh, and they're all kind of around the same thing, which is just, how do these dudes fit together? Are there fun combinations? Are there potentially very effective combinations? I think there are. Like, you think back to 21-22, they had a lot of success with Barnes, Siakam, Boucher, and Achua as like a core four in lineups. That worked because Precious Achua was hitting 38% of his threes on like four attempts a game down the stretch of the season, which really, really helped, of course. Um, you know, Chris Boucher is not himself a great three-point shooter. He has had a bit of a bounce back from that 21-22 season. He was around 32-33% last year, I believe. Um, he was like 29% in that year where there was success. So, like, maybe there's a bit of a, a, a room for even more sort of effectiveness in that core four group. Um, you need Pascal to hit his corner threes, all that stuff. Who are you playing with those guys? I don't think you can play them with Jakob Pertl, for example. It's just not enough space there but could you play a Grady Dick alongside those guys probably add a little spacing you have the defensive versatility across the board maybe that's a viable lineup um, but let's uh, start off here talking about Chris Boucher shall we question came in from that Marfin in uh, the uh, Lockdown Rappers Discord the question was Chris Boucher discuss Boucher is a weird player on this team man I, I think I keep on not putting him into my like favorite pet lineups because a I feel like there's a trade 
lingering out there where you where you swap Boucher for a guard. You know, even if it's just a bench guard, just any guard depth on this team would be really helpful. As it stands right now, like Jeff Doughton or Malachi Flynn are the backup point guards on the roster behind Dennis Schroeder. I know Scotty Barnes is going to play point guard. You know, you know what I mean. But like, there's just not enough guards on this team. You got to have more guard depth in case there's injury. If Schroeder goes down. Like, you're really going to run Jeff Dowden 18 minutes a game, 20 minutes a game, 25 minutes a game as a backup, as a six-man? I don't think so. I like Jeff Dowden a lot, but I think that's a lot to ask of him. And so I feel like Chris Boucher is the most tradey, tradey? He's the biggest trade candidate on the team, I'd say, probably. And again, you're not probably getting a ton for him. DeLon Wright, TJ McConnell, these are the types of guys you're looking at. Are the Pacers even interested in a Boucher for McConnell swap? They just, you know, drafted Jarris Walker, traded for Obi Toppin. They seem like they're kind of set at the four to go and let those guys kind of figure themselves out, develop, and do the thing. Um, maybe there's not a fit there. Maybe it really is just DeLon Wright or bust for Chris Boucher. Um, you know, maybe there's a Cole Anthony trade or something like that, although I feel like the Magic would probably want a little bit more on top of Chris Boucher for Cole Anthony. And the Magic notably have a million forwards already anyway, so maybe there's not a fit there either. It's tough. You know, if there were more obvious landing spots, I feel like Chris Boucher would have already been traded by now. Um, But where he fits in is anybody's guess. Like, I, I don't think... He's a very good backup center type. He probably won't have to play backup center at all. You've got Yak, you've got Coloco, you've got Scotty Barnes who can slide in there. I think those three guys should probably take up the lion's share of the minutes at center over the course of the season. Um, again, Scotty just for little pockets of games where you can make use of his excellent, excellent ability to work in the short roll, work in the middle of the floor, score over bigger guys, all that stuff. Um, with Boucher, yeah, like... It'll be down to the lineups that he's part of and, you know, who he's playing with. I think he's going to have to play with a lot of shooting because I think we've learned that Chris Boucher, not exactly someone you want firing away on threes. Um, He's an offensive rebounding monster. Get him doing that stuff. Get him, you know, running to the bucket and cutting baseline and doing that stuff and, you know, working off of Jakob Pertl, working off of Scotty Barnes, working at the elbow, all this stuff. Like, you can find ways to use Chris Boucher. But he's not really a center. He's not really a role man. He can't really set screens because he's too much of a beanpole man to do that. Um, so I don't see that being like a viable outlook for, for Boucher on this team. He's going to have to be like a, a backup four type. And he does feel like he's kind of squeezed because I'd almost just rather see Precious Achua and Jalen McDaniels play than Chris Boucher. And I'd almost rather see like Otto Porter Jr. play than Chris Boucher because I think his three-point shooting is really valuable. And Boucher just doesn't really offer that. He hasn't done it consistently. He had that one year in Tampa where he was incredible and shot 38%. And it's just not been there since. That feels like the anomaly and not what to expect from Chris Boucher, unless he's playing the Sixers when he only hits threes. It is amazing. Um, So yeah, I feel Boucher is like the weird sore thumb on this team. He just kind of sticks out and I don't really know how he's going to be utilized. He he fits less well in Yakup Pirtle lineups than he did in sort of those weird sort of all 6-9 lineups back in 21-22. It's just going to be hard to find spots for Boucher to really be effective because of his lack of shooting. And I just think there are guys who kind of do his thing just a little bit more effectively and offer more skills on top of it. Let's get into a question here from uh, Ben Chapman, which kind of goes into these fun pet lineups we've been thinking about. Um, This one is, uh, should a Precious McDaniel, Scotty OG, Pascal lineup just form a human chain as a half-court defensive scheme? It's a great question, and this is actually... One of my favorite pet lineups that the Raptors could throw out there. Of course, they would need Precious and McDaniels to 
be hitting their threes if this were the lineup they were going to roll out. They would have to have Precious and McDaniels kind of tapping into their upper echelon shooting outcomes. You know, we've seen Precious in that 21-22 season, the way he knocked those down, the catch and shoots, the confidence, the fact that he was just like hitting only mesh every single time. If you can tap back into that, Precious Achua becomes a massively important player on this very strange roster. He makes things work a little bit more. You can play him at the three. I've talked about him being big norm in his sort of ideal outcome, uh, where he's just like attacking closeouts with reckless abandoned dunking on people's heads and firing away on catch and shoots that would be a dream you need the three-point shot to come back the 27 percent he was at last year is just not going to cut it and uh, you know we'll see I don't have any idea how to predict precious I don't know how to predict precious possession to possession let alone season to season so we'll see but if he's doing his thing and being a reasonable catch and shoot and it close out attacking guy Jalen McDaniels has a history of hitting threes. He shot 40% on the Sixers down the stretch of the season. Very tiny sample size, but playing alongside good players that were getting him good looks, he was taking wide open threes. Is he playing alongside Joel Embiid and James Harden for the Raptors? No, he is not. That is not what's going on here, but... Is there a way in which, you know, Jalen McDaniels can be sort of like a spacing infusion into lineups with Pascal and Scotty? Absolutely there is. Is he going to get shots funneled to him? He very well could, and he's going to have to hit them. But I think McDaniels' precious OG as like your nominal 2-3-4 is like pretty devastating defensively. You could switch everything there. Um, you know, you don't even have to switch everything. You could just like stay true and keep in front of guys and it would be pretty incredible those are all good on ball defenders um you know scotty as uh, would probably be like the defensive center in this setup i guess or maybe pascal like it's weird to kind of figure out who's guarding the point guard in these lineups maybe it's precious maybe you get super weird with it maybe you do just switch everything um but there's like a, a lot of potential with a lineup like that and that is where the fun of this season is probably going to come in these bizarro concoctions envision six foot nine being reimagined just like to a greater degree with no guards whatsoever um you know will that lineup score very well probably not like amazing there's not a ton of proven shooting outside of og in that group but could it be like an incredible top five percentile of the league defensive lineup Absolutely it could, and that's how the Raptors are going to have to butter their bread this year. They're going to have to be a defensive monster, and lineups like that give you a pretty good shot of that. Uh, another question here came in from Skip to my Lou. I'll, I'll close up on this one. How important is prioritizing Jalen McDaniels, who is 25 and needs playing time to develop, over Thad Young and Otto Porter in the 30-plus crew? For me, this is interesting. Like, I haven't really thought of Jalen McDaniels as someone who is like a developmental project for the Raptors, as someone who like they really need to, um, you know, be be mining the the sort of developmental track. He's 25. Like, yes, there's still development to be done. He might be close to a finished product. He's just like a nice role player who who does his thing and hits some threes and plays some defense, and um, you know that that's fine if that's what the case is. You know, maybe there's more to tap into there. Certainly, the Hornets aren't exactly like a bastion of player development, and he wasn't exactly getting a ton of run with the Sixers to flex his muscles either. Maybe there's some upside to tap into there for sure. But ultimately, I think the answer to this question is what's best for Scotty Barnes, right? Like, if they're going to lean into Scotty at point, they have to do everything they can to maximize Scotty Barnes and his ability to succeed playing the point. And that means shooting, dot shooting around him as much as you can. And so, if Jalen McDaniels is shooting 36, 37% from three, 
Absolutely. Play him all the time. Give him tons of run. Have him be like just as high in the sort of reserve pecking order as a Gary, uh, like a, a Grady Dick or a Precious Achua or a Dennis Schroeder. Like have him be part of your regular lineups. If he's shooting that well from three, it's totally justified. But if he's shooting 31% from three and it's not quite clicking, then I think that's when Otto Porter actually becomes the preferable option if he's healthy because of the three-point shooting and the spacing he provides. I think I'd rather have Otto Porter Jr. at his, what, age 31 or whatever, dotting the floor around Scotty Barnes, providing space, providing extra rebounding, all this stuff. I would rather that than a Jalen McDaniels who's bricking threes. And I don't think the Raptors have like a ton invested in the development of Jalen McDaniels. He is... 25 he's on a two-year deal he's making four and a half million bucks you know Otto Porter obviously is not exactly long for this team either you one would think but as far as this year everything has to be geared towards maximizing Scotty Barnes and so if Otto Porter ends up being the best shooting option of all these bench guys he should be very much in the regular rotation and playing with Scotty Barnes as much as possible because the more shooting on the floor around Scotty Barnes the better chance he's going to have of actually succeeding and figuring out just how good he is at this point guard thing. If it's all cramped and there's no spacing and teams are sagging off of guys and meeting Scotty in the middle of the paint, throwing walls at him, that's not going to be conducive to his development. So the answer here is, if Jalen McDaniels is shooting, absolutely. He is the prioritized guy. He's 25. There's upside there. But if he's not, Otto Porter Jr., I think, is a totally fine guy to throw in ahead of McDaniels in the rotation. Thad Young, I don't quite see it. Uh, unfortunately for him, uh, as much as it was fun that he took those five threes that that time after getting traded, um, as much as it was fun that he crossed over and dropped Joel Embiid in the playoffs in 2022, it's just it's probably not there for Thad this year. He's going to be like deep backup center insurance, really. I think that's kind of the thing. Maybe they'll go small ball Thad in some lineups where they really want some playmaking. Um, you know, maybe if there's an injury or something, he slides up just because he he's got some skills to him, some playmaking. You know chops to him even though he's very very old at this point um but i don't think thad young of this group is the most likely to be getting a lot of minutes and that's totally fine he's on the team but he's basically to be salary matching in a trade at this point which is a uh, kind of a depressing way to think about it and a dumb way to talk about players but that's just the reality of the situation at the moment anyway I don't know if this episode really had much direction. I just figured, let's talk about the forward glut because it's a mess. And if the episode was a mess, then hey, that's thematically on point. Either way, thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks to the listeners for sending in questions. Reminder, get into the Discord. Link is in the description. That's the place where you're going to get your questions answered on the podcast. I'm only taking questions from the Discord now going forward. So uh, please jump in there. We'd love to see you. Lots of new faces jumping in there every day, it seems. And uh, we're having a great little time over there in the Discord. Come play Hoop Grids. It's a ton of fun. It's really hard. Off-season, our, our pal in the Discord is incredibly, incredibly good at it. Trying to beat off-season is like my daily uh, like goal on, on Hoop Grids, and I can never do it. Anyway, that's it. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will talk to you again on Wednesday as uh, we might have Katie Heindel along. We'll see. I'm not sure exactly what the schedule is just yet. It's the off-season. We'll see. We're kind of going with the wind at this point. But either way, if you haven't yet, go listen to yesterday's show about Scotty Barnes and his point guard prospects and all of that it was a good one with Vivek Jacob and uh lots of good stuff of late if you want to go back in the catalog of recent episodes as we've documented this Raptors offseason every single day and it, boy oh boy has it been a long offseason so far and it's still only July with that we'll leave you there thank you so much for tuning in subscribe rate review and we'll see you again on Wednesday thanks for hanging bye
Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.